Welcome to Hokesson Baptist Church. Uh, my name is Terry Foster. I'm the associate pastor here. And I want to welcome you. If you're a first-time visitor, I'm really glad that you're here. And I pray that, uh, and I hope that you're encouraged by worshiping with us. And if you're an old friend that's been um, away for a while and you're back for a visit, we just want to welcome you as well. It's great to have, have you here today. And I never thought I'd get to preach next to almost a life-size version of the Sea of Galilee and where Jesus walked. And, and that's going to work out well for our sermon text this morning. And I'm really grateful to be here to worship with you and to teach you from the Word of God. So allow me to pray for us. Please bow your heads as we pray. Lord, we are so grateful for you. And we are so grateful that we get to worship you, that we get to gather as friends and family and as a community and lift you up and glorify you. God, I pray that everything that's said and done in this place and in this house this morning, that it becomes a glorifying um, fragrance and offering to you. God, that you would be lifted higher and that we would understand who we are in you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, if you don't know, Pastor John and I are on a 40-day experience. And what that means is we are taking more time in the life of ministry to set that time aside for what we call the higher things of the faith, studying God's word, taking more time to pray than we normally do. It's sad that, that two pastors need to set more time aside to pray. Um, but we've really enjoyed this time at a lot of different levels. We've been meditating on God's word. We've been reading with God's word. And we've, to the best of our ability, we've been trying to elevate people in our lives. So if God brings someone into our life and we need to pause and give them time, we've tried to set up our schedule so that that is available to them. And during the week, we, we set ourselves apart in a different way from our families. We live in the city in an apartment above the coffee shop that our church operates as a ministry center. And um, so this past week, we hit day 21 or day 20. We're halfway through our experience and I can tell you that the newness of what we're doing has certainly worn off. Pastor John and I have been reflecting on this uh, past week, and not only have we gotten more used to um, living in closer quarters through the week, but we've just been, even this past week was really challenging uh, because we see how ordinary we are, and yet we're still pursuing God. I want to tell you a story that kind of highlights this past week for us. The story is titled, 20 Days to Ordinary, A Story of Friendship. And it's a true story, and I will use very little exaggeration in, in the telling of the story. There is one central character, we'll call him Porcelain, his name's Porcelain. And there's one supporting character, we'll call him Jerry, spelled with a J. Not to be confused with Terry, spelled with a T, or John, spelled with a J-O-N. Now, Porcelain led a quiet life. He lived in an empty apartment above Market Street. He was shaped like a toilet, but he liked the way that he looked. Something happened that made Porcelain upset. Jerry mysteriously moved in. Porcelain started feeling used. He felt dirty. One day after feeling used again, Porcelain started to cry. It's as if his pipes were clogged. After Jerry left the apartment, unbeknownst to Jerry, Porcelain started to cry harder. 
crying and crying so hard that he started to overflow, literally. And yes, if you haven't picked up by now, porcelain is the toilet in the apartment we share. And Jerry somehow helped overflow the toilet this past week. And we laugh, but uh, Pastor John and I, everything is a teaching opportunity for us on our experience. And, and we reflected on that. And um, it highlights how ordinary we felt this past week. And it led us into a question that kind of captures uh, this, the series that we're starting this morning. And the question is this. If we feel so ordinary, even when we're pursuing the most godly and spiritual things in our lives, then how can we expect our lives to tell a story of God that will actually be transformational in other people's lives? How can we expect our lives to tell the story of God? That's the question that is highlighting um, the sermon series that we're beginning today called The Story. We're going to take five weeks beginning today, and over the next four weeks, we are going to tell you the, the story of God with the intention of allowing you to create a tool in your own life to invite people in to the story of God. Next Sunday, we'll talk about the creation, and then we'll talk about the fall, the rescue, and the restoration. We believe that the timing of this series is really special. We just finished a 10-week series from the book of Revelation. And I'm so thankful for Pastor John and for this whole church for having open ears to learn from the Word of God and listen to what Revelation was teaching us. And we, we really, as a church, we went to one of the most profound places and one of the most theologically rich places that we've ever been. And now we live in this reality of how do we respond to that? This series called The Story is designed to allow us to respond to something that's very theologically profound, but to respond in a practical way that we hope will be a way that actually makes sense and can be lived out in our lives. I want to tell you about something really special that's happening. Two weeks from today, on May 15th, our church will gather at the Queen Theater on Market Street for church. Uh, we, like last year, we, we gathered for a combined service at a school. This year, we're going to gather in a different way. We're going to leave our building, but we're going to stay together as one community for worship. Um, the Queen Theater is on Market Street in Wilmington. For the last two years, they've been renovating this theater, and it's a really amazing uh, space that we feel would be a great place to worship God in. So to our knowledge, I think we're going to have the first church service and the first worship service in the newly renovated Queen Theater. And that service happens right in the middle of this series. I want to give you a few details. Um, the service is going to be at 10.30 a.m. The coffee shop, Lomo Coffee, is going to open just so we can gather there. Um, I believe it's going to open at 8.30. And then the doors will open at 10.15. Um, next week, we'll give you a little bit more logistics about parking. Um, it's really cool. We have the Extreme Balloon Man coming to do a separate program for our children. Our children are going to be together with us for the first 20 or 30 minutes of worship, and then they're going to leave and have a special program for them, and then Pastor John's going to bring us the word um, that morning. I would really encourage you um, to, to begin praying for this Sunday. It happens actually 52 weeks away from May 23, 2010, which was when Pastor John preached a sermon called New Ideas Ahead. And it was the first time that we started talking about, as a church, what would it look like for us to create a ministry center or ministry space in the city of Wilmington? And now we want to come back a year later, almost to the Sunday, 
to celebrate what God has done. And we also want to talk about the story of God with the people that he brings together. So the theater seats about 800 to 1,000. So we know we'll have space to gather together as a whole church. But there will also be space for us, not only to invite our friends, but anyone that we know that works or lives in the city. Um, This will be a neat opportunity to invite them in. So I want to encourage you to think and be praying about that. And I want to ask you if you would commit to coming to that service and adjusting your schedule that morning as we gather for worship in a different way. There will not be any 9 a.m. worship service. We'll only have one worship service that morning at 10.30 at the Queen Theater. So today we begin a series called The Story. I want to ask you three questions on the front end. Is there really only one story of God? Do you believe that there's really one story of God? And if so, how do you believe that your life fits into that story? Especially when we feel so ordinary at times, how do we expect to be enabled to tell the story of God? There were three men who lived and walked with Jesus. In fact, they walked with him as disciples and apostles. They were so close to Jesus, and we're going to look at their lives this morning and ask these questions about Jesus and his story. Their names were not what you might expect. Their names were not Peter, James, or John. Their names were Thomas, Philip, and the other Judas. We're going to look at these three characters, and we're going to consider them supporting characters of the story of God. And by so doing, we're not going to think of them as less but we're going to think of them as important because how God has used them. They will teach us something special about the story of God. Now, Thomas, Philip, and the other Jews, as I said, they walked with Jesus, who is the central character of the story. And we're going to join them at a really interesting time in a conversation in the upper room during the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus started to open up to them something special about who he was. And as we join them, they have an intimate dialogue with Jesus in the upper room on the night of the Lord's Supper. Please turn to John chapter 14. I believe if you're using a Bible that's in the seat in front of you, I believe it's on page 749. And as we've said before, if you don't have a Bible, please take that one. So turn to John chapter 14 on page 749. If While you're turning there, I want to tell you that where we start up in the conversation actually begins further back in chapter 13. From chapter 13 through 17, Jesus has one continuous conversation with his apostles, and he starts to open them up to the most brilliant things about who he is. We're going to pick up in that conversation, and as we do, we're going to uh, consider the questions that Thomas, Philip, and the other Judas ask. Jesus is about to reveal himself to them in a way that he has never yet done. And even the apostles will be pushed to consider who they believe Jesus is and what they think about him. Let's begin by reading the first sentence of John chapter 14. Even this sentence is radical. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus' statement, trust in God, trust also in me. He knew that that would push on the disciples. Now, when I listen to that statement, 
trust in God, trust also in me. It's easy for me to hear that because I believe Jesus was God and I believe that I, or I hope that I would trust him in the same way that I trust God. But Jesus, by saying this statement, he was uh, pushing the disciples to ask this question. Why would Jesus put himself in the same sentence? Why would he say, trust God, trust also in me? And the way he connects those phrases is that he keeps them both in the present and the active. And he equates that trust in God with trust in himself. The disciples continued to wrestle with who Jesus was. They held their monotheistic beliefs to the highest degree. And Jesus started to have them ask big questions about who he was. We're going to read this conversation. We're going to step into the conversation. And as I read it, I'm going to read about 25 verses. And I'm going to read it in a way that I feel might be like it was said between Thomas, Philip, the other Judas, and Jesus, and the other apostles and disciples that were there. So I want you to open up your ears, and I want you to become a listening ear in this conversation. And listen to the way that Jesus talks to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? These words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then the other Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. After all this, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Thomas is interesting. If you think about Thomas, probably the first thing that comes to your mind is this idea of doubt. Because Thomas, at the end of Jesus' life, after Jesus actually had been crucified and actually brought to new life and raised again, Jesus, or Thomas came to Jesus and he actually had to touch the marks of the crucifixion to see that Jesus really was alive and that he had been risen from the dead. But there's another interesting story a little bit earlier in the book of John. Just a few, a little bit earlier in John chapter 11, we hear the story of Lazarus. Lazarus had passed away and Jesus knew that he had passed away. Jesus started to grieve about Lazarus. He said to his disciples, we need to head back to Judea. And his disciples said, Jesus, we cannot go back there. They will make another attempt on your life. They will try to kill you. But listen to what Thomas said to them. He looked right at the disciples and he exclaimed, he said, let's go that we may die with him. So Thomas, here in the life of Jesus, had all this passion to follow Jesus even into death. And yet look at his question in verse 5 of chapter 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? So Jesus, or so Thomas, with such passion, had just followed Jesus. But now he comes to this place where he starts to be confused and to ask questions. Where is Jesus headed? I don't seem to understand. Look how Jesus responds. And in this response, we see something um, that we've never seen in Scripture up to this point. Jesus describes who he is in such a brilliant way that actually the whole book of John kind of pivots around this statement. And our faith is built around this idea. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This idea became so transformative in the life of the early church that they became known as the way. And Thomas started with this question and and Jesus answered it. Thomas helps us ask this question. And it's this question, is Jesus the way to the Father? Philip. Philip, like Thomas, um, we know little about Philip. When he was first called to follow Jesus, 
he went and he got his friend Nathaniel. And he said, Nathaniel, come and see. The Messiah is here. Nathaniel came and had a conversation with Jesus. But later on, we find a rare occurrence when Jesus takes time to teach Philip something. And it's from John chapter 6. Jesus looks up and he sees a crowd of over 5,000 people. And he looks right at Philip and he asks him a question. Where shall we buy bread to feed these people? Philip exclaims. He says, eight months' wages would not be enough even to buy enough bread so that each person here could have one bite. And the text says that Jesus was testing him. He was testing his trust into the life of Christ. And now we look in verse 8. And we see Philip asks another question of the Lord. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Show us the Father and that will be enough for us. It's as if Philip is asking Jesus to kind of move aside so that he can see the Father. Or maybe he's thinking Jesus is going to be this bridge or this way that we get to the Father. And though that's true, Jesus says something more profound. He says, when you look at me, you see the Father. Look at how he answers Philip. He says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Philip is still wrestling with this question. Does he trust Jesus? Does he trust him enough that he would actually become the exact picture and representation of who the Father is? And we learn from Philip's question that Christ is the the bedrock of our faith. He actually is the central figure. He is not just a way to see the Father. He is the way that we see the Father. And we only see the Father in him, in Christ. Philip asks this question. He helps us ask the same question. Do I trust that Jesus is the central character in the story of God? The other Judas. Now, when your name is the other Judas, and you actually have to be defined by someone that you're not, and, and, and then he actually has to say it was not Judas Iscariot, because Judas Iscariot was the one that betrayed Jesus at the end. But the other Judas was one of the other apostles. Even his name is shielded to us. Uh, we believe that he's Thaddeus, a nickname Thaddeus from the book of Mark and Matthew. And he's also called the son of James. Even when his name is shielded, that might indicate the type of supporting character that he is in the life of Christ. He has one speaking role in the whole story of God, and we find it in John chapter 14, verse 22. So if you're in a movie or you're in a story, and you have one speaking role, this is your opportunity to speak into the life of the story. And ironically, Judas' question is the most selfless of the three. Although I think there are three honest questions. Listen to Judas' question. He, like Philip and Thomas, he says, Lord, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? I love the way that Jesus answers this. Because in the first verse, right after it, he answers the question. But then he actually uses the next three chapters, all the way through chapter 17, to kind of explode the answer to this question. But listen to what he says in verse 23. 
If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. See, Jesus is saying very clearly to Judas and to the other disciples that this story is not just for them. And in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself, and then he prays for the disciples and the apostles. And then he prays for us. He prays that we, the church, would have unity in him, that we would be in him, in Christ, and that he would be in us. And because of that, we are in the Father. Jesus' story really is for the world. And I want to state something very simply that's going to highlight the whole purpose of this series, and that's this, that Jesus Christ is the central character of the story of God. He helps us see the Father. And we, as his children, are the supporting characters. And as we end this morning, I want us to think about this idea of supporting characters and how that plays out in our lives. I want us to become practical in the way that we respond. How do we live as supporting characters in the story of God? I believe that there's a profound way that this question is answered, and that's answered in the ordinary aspects of our lives. Pastor John and myself, after 20 days in to our spiritual adventure, I can tell you that we feel as, more, as, as ordinary as we've ever felt, and, and I'm not just saying that. We feel so ordinary, and yet God is still inviting us in to be supporting characters in his story. The apartment story that I told you, um, we won't go back to it, but I will say um, there's a guy that cleans the apartments. His name's Peter. And we kind of had to go up to Peter and apologize and say, sorry, the, the toilet overflowed. It was just clean water at that point. But, um, but something really unique happened. Pastor John had already given Peter a T-shirt a couple weeks ago at the beginning. And Peter was like, no, that's cool. You know, no problem. I, I know who you guys are. And even in something as ordinary as that, we saw an opportunity where God was inviting us in to be the supporting characters of what he wanted to do. And these three supporting characters, Thomas, Philip, and the other Judas, they ask three questions that I want to ask you of your own life. And as we ask them, we're going to prepare our hearts and minds to respond in worship around these questions. To respond in worship in a way that we ask ourselves, Am I really a supporting character of you, God? And if so, what does that mean for my life? Listen to the questions that Thomas, Philip, and the other Judas ask. And I want you to think about what kind of supporting character are you in the story of God? Are you Thomas? Are you Thomas asking about the way? Are you still wondering if Jesus really is the way and the truth and the life? He may be asking you to respond to that question. Maybe not today, but maybe this week. Maybe he's asking you to respond to this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the way? And Philip was wondering about trust. Do I really trust that Jesus will be the center of the story? Or am I asking Jesus to do something that he really does not need to do? Am I asking Jesus just to show me the Father so that he can get out of the way? But Jesus says, do you trust me? Do you trust me enough so that I can be the exact picture of the Father in your life? So that when you see me, you actually see the Father. 
So are you Philip, wondering if you really trust Jesus? Or are you the other Judas, who's wondering how does the world fit into the story of God? And that's a real question that I think we need to wrestle with. And we need to ask ourselves, in particular, how are we supporting characters in the story of God? I want to invite the worship team up now because we have designed a way for us to respond to these questions. And I want us to respond to this idea of, are you a supporting character in the story of God? And as they come, I want to remind you of two things. First, to be a supporting character in the story of God is not a pointless or meaningless position. In fact, it brings us to the second point. The only way that we can be supporting characters is if we elevate and highlight the central character, Jesus Christ. Are our lives elevating and highlighting and bringing to life the story of Jesus? And are we allowing our lives to be pictures of his? So please pray with us as we enter into worship. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that he becomes the central figure in your story of rescue and redemption in our lives. And God, we are so grateful for Jesus and who he is to us. God, that he becomes the exact picture of who you are. God, that you are so holy, so magnificent, that it's even difficult for us to look at you, maybe impossible. But yet when we see Christ, when we see Jesus, your son, we get to see the Father. God, you open us up into something that we should never deserve to be opened up into. God, and we just confess now that we are unholy and unworthy of being part of your story. We do believe that Jesus is the center character, the central character of your story, that he is continuing to redeem this world, that it's a story that continues through the life of your church. And God, we just want to be your supporting characters. We want to do whatever you want us to do, like your son Jesus did. He did the exact will of his father. God, we want to do the same. God, and we believe that your spirit, your advocate, your counselor of truth, that he guides us into the truth. And God, as we respond now, I just pray, God, that we would humbly respond to who you are, the central character in our lives, and that we would just look at Jesus as the picture of who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.